0: Good morning, I'm Jürgen, and today I have the privilege to be invited to share something with you. So basically I brought my sandwich, we'll have lunch together. Is that okay with you? Yeah, uh, but not only me, uh, I want to invite my friend Emmanuel to come over. Uh, he will do the reading, is that good? Yeah, come on, we need different voices. Yeah, so today we're going to have Act 15 uh, in our series of Acts. Come on, you can do it from here. They want to see you on a camera, and we can wave to everyone who's being online and watching us. Right, so it's Act 15, and I asked Emmanuel just to read the whole chapter, the whole text. Please soak in it, because it is important. We can't say anything today without having something to talk about, and Act 15 is for today. Please.
1: And, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. And after, there was no little strife and debate by Paul and Barnabas against them. They appointed Paul and Barnabas and some others from among them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this issue. So they were sent on their way by the church and passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria telling in detail the conversations of the Gentiles and bringing great joy to all the brothers. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and reported all that God had done with them. But some of those who had believed from the party of the Pharisees stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to observe the laws of Moses. Both the apostles and the elders assembled to deliberate concerning this matter. And after there was much debate, Paul stood up, Peter stood up, and said to them, Men and brothers, you know that in the early days God chose among you through my mouth that the Gentiles should hear the message of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts. By faith. So now, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way those also are. And the whole group became became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And, they, and after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Men and brothers, listen to me. Simeon has described how God first concerned himself to take from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the word of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return and build up again the tent of David that has fallen. And the part of it that had been torn down, I will build up again and will restore it so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, I conclude, we should not cause difficulty for those from among the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write a letter to them to abstain from the pollution of idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For Moses... As those who proclaimed him in every city from ancient generations, because he is read aloud in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then it seemed best to the apostles and the elders together with the whole church to send men chosen from among them to Antioch with Paul and, Ban- and Barnabas. Judas, who was called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders from among the brothers, writing this letter to, the, to be delivered by them. The apostles and the elders... Brothers, to the brothers who are from among the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings, because we have heard that some have gone out from among us to whom we gave no orders and have thrown you into confusion by the words upsetting your minds, it seemed best to us having reached a unanimous decision and having chosen men to send them to you together with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives on behalf of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, and they will report the same things by word of mouth. For he seemed best to the Holy Spirit and to us to place no, on you no greater burden, except the, these necessary things, that you abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came down to Antioch, and after calling together the community, they delivered the letter. And when they read it aloud, they rejoiced at the encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brothers by a long message. And after spending some time, they were sent away in peace from the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, come then, let us return and visit the brothers in every town in which we proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they are doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take John, who was called Mark, along also. But Paul held the opinion that they should not take this one along, who departed from them in Pamphylia and did not accompany them in the work. And a sharp disagreement took place, so they separated from one another. And Barnabas took a long mark and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. And he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches.
0: Thank you. Come on, give him a big hand. Brilliant. Never underestimate the power of public reading of scriptures. Chapter 15, uh, as you probably have observed already, we could neatly divide it up in two parts and I will try to to say a little bit about each one of them. One part is about what's called the council in Jerusalem and the second one is the Paul and Barnabas fallout. When was your last preach you heard about how to fall out nicely? This is one of them. Um, I I think we should start with the first one, so um, the council in uh, Jerusalem, if you remember what we just heard, uh, they had a little bit of a problem, an issue we needed to sort it out, to be sorted out, and they, they took quite some time to do it. Okay, so today, here in the room, if you're Jewish, it's very easy, Jesus of Nazareth is your promised Messiah, you know what to do, stay Jewish but follow him, he's the leader, okay? He's your Messiah, and he uh, is the one promised, and he will give you all the promises that God made to Abraham. That's easy, Um, I don't want you to raise hands, but more likely you're in this room and you're not Jewish, and I'm not. So what about us? Well, it's this thing when God decides to get all the families from everywhere and from every time into his family that was the plan all the time even when he first chose Abraham and then later his descendants to be a nation and to represent him actually all humanity is called to represent God yeah so you're invited into the family if you're not Jewish but that comes at a cost it means you have to accept a Jewish messiah well, he's not Jewish just for the Jews, he's Jewish because he was born like that, but he's a Messiah for everyone. So if you're here today and you're not Jewish, Jesus is your Messiah too, or the Christ, if the Greek, uh, how the Greeks called him. What are the conditions though to be part of this family? Were there conditions for the Jews to be part of God's family? I'll let you answer that. Are there conditions for us to be part of God's family? I'll, I'll let you answer that too, okay. So let me just do something to set a bit of a context. Why are we even talking about these things? We need to have a broad arch that brings together everything. We need to have an understanding and a worldview, if you want so, that includes all things from the beginning to the end. And thank God we have a scripture that arches all these things. And if we, if we dig into it and look into it, we will find our place in the whole story. And that's important, and that's where I want to end or land today. What's our place in this whole debate and story and everything? Let me just start over with right the beginning when God was alone. I know, Trinity, but God was alone. There was nothing and no one else. And God just out of his being, out of his desire to create and to make, just, just by being himself, he created things and he created the heavens the spiritual realm, and he created earth, which is the material realm, realm, or the whole cosmos, which we can scientifically kind of like explore. And once he made those places or ways of existence, realms rather, those two realms, he started populating them. And there's a population for the spiritual realm, beings that do not have a body. And we put angels and all the other things in there, and cherubim and whatnot, you know, throne throne room guardians and then you have earth and you have all the birds which are the, the sky flyers and the water swimmers and you have the land creepers and then you have these upright beings called humans they're all part in the material realm but guess what both those in the spiritual realm and those in the material realm were designed to be part of God's family to be united with him to exist in harmony with Him, to exist according to the original design, and to govern. They were supposed to image God in a way, in the spiritual realm, and in a different way, in the material realm. Remember, humans, let's make them to image us in our image, so they represent us. So that's what God did. And after He populated that, things should have been nice. Remember Eden? And remember the garden in Eden, the mountain, lush mountain garden, where heaven and earth were together, spiritual beings and humans were together, and all the animals? Well, that broke apart. And then we have three rebellions in the story one in Genesis 3, the rebellion you know, the garden story, or the fall, as it's called. And then you have another rebellion in Genesis chapter 6, where the spiritual beings rebelled and came down on earth, which they weren't supposed to come, not, at least not in that way. And then you have the Nephilim and the giants, and all that whole of, uh, of things that, that went terribly wrong, terribly wrong. And then you have Genesis 11, when the humans, who weren't nations, they were just humans, one big family of humans, were evil and they decided to build a tower and God said no I'm not having that. You're not having you're not being God yourself. And then since then we have nations, three major rebellions. And then God says okay we have to finish this. We have the flood and after the flood later on um, God chooses one man. And I just had this really interesting conversation with my wife the other day about why would God chose Why would God choose Abraham? Was he any better? Was he any different? No! He was just an average idolater, living in Mesopotamia, which is the place for Babylon, where where all went wrong in Chapter 11. But yet, God chooses one of them and says, look, I'm going to start over, because the Plan B, there is no Plan B. We stick to Plan A. I will have human images on this planet who, who take custody of the planet on my behalf and represent me well. And out of that, we have Israel, and then later on, the plan is to gather the nations together, and the final, final step in all of that is to reunite heaven and earth, as it was. Remember? That's the story. That's the setting. Everything united together, spiritual realm and material realm, in God, later it becomes in Christ, as Paul says it, to be all united. Now, today's reading fits really nicely into this plan. So if you think TV series, then here we have season one. You like TV series, don't you? Come on. Israel was the first season. And I, I chose this illustration intentionally. You will see why. Israel was the first season, but the plan was always for a second one. In the first season, God deals with Israel, creating a nation, creating a place where humans are both kings and priests, and also prophets, and represent God to the other nations who do not have this particular belief in one God, okay? So that's, that, that was the plan for the beginning, but there always was to be a season two. And guess what? In season two, all the nations are gathered in to also become kings and priests and prophets of the Most High God. Now, the thing is that in season one, there were some rules. It's like Gandalf saying to Frodo, this ring, with the price of your life, you just guard it. Don't, don't lose it. Okay, that's season one. We know that later, he said, just get rid of it, just get rid of it. But season one, yeah? There were some rules on how season one works. And Israel was in the first season and they had a covenant with Yahweh. They had a covenant with their God and there was a deal about how this covenant works. Because basically, they were a camp that hosted the Most High God. There was actually a tent in their camp that hosted the Most High God. And there are certain rules when you have the sun coming down on Earth. You can't do whatever you want because it burns you. There are certain rules on how to approach that huge nuclear reactor up there in the sky. Now, Those rules included a lot of regulations on how to live with them and how to approach God and how to do things to just be safe and also to be kind of like a a pointer or a landmark that points towards God. Part of that deal was wearing an ID. Now, if you work in a decent company, you wear a badge. And here, like everyone works in some company because everyone wears a badge. So, the Jews, they they had to wear an ID. And I'm not using the F word today, um, but they had to do something to themselves. So, it was very obvious that they belonged to this specific nation, they belonged to God. But even though they had to do that, the males, what mattered to God most was the heart. Always the heart mattered because they were chosen, they were saved. They were moved into a promised land. They had a good covenant. They were promised life and abundance. But mind you, no Baal worshippers will be in heaven. Do you agree? So all that election, all that stuff, doesn't matter if the heart is not changed. And just remember that because that's very important. And then we we move on and Jesus comes onto the scene and he was a Jew, he was part of season one, but he's the character that moves it on. And suddenly, you have this little review, five minutes, season one, and then season two starts. And Jesus is the one that introduces season two. What's new here? Well, there's a new covenant. And you say, hallelujah. There's a new covenant with whom? Well, with the Jews, of course. And with the Gentiles. This was what was promised in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I will make a new covenant. I will give them a new heart heart, remember, a new heart, and I will write my laws, my regulations into their heart, onto their heart. It's going to be an inner motivation, not an external set of rules. Well done and well said, and today we celebrated the Lord's Supper, as it's called. It's just a constant reminder that we live in this new covenant that includes Jews and Gentiles alike, and it's one that Jesus introduced. We are leaving season two, or are we? Is there a new deal then? If we have a new covenant, do we have a new deal, a new agreement? Oh, yes. Jesus introduced it. And just as Moses came down the mountain and presented the words of God as the Torah and the regulations, so Jesus was on the mountain and he brought the new law. It's usually called the Sermon on the Mount. And he also promised the Spirit coming. And when the Spirit comes, then the hearts will be changed and then the Gentiles will receive him too. So that's different in season two, and that's very important for our point. Now, the question is, if the Gentiles become part of God's family, and if God's family already was Jewish, do the Gentiles have to become Jewish? What would you say? No? Well, if a family is Jewish, and you're adopted into it, you should become Jewish, right? It kind of makes sense. Come on. Did I confuse you? But what about the Jews? Because, you know, we heard the text. No, you don't have to become Jewish. But what about the Jews? Do they have become un-Jewish? That's a trick question, think about it. If the Gentiles do not have to become Jews, do the Jews have to become non-Jews? Do they have to get rid of all the things they had to do to themselves and to each other, or not? Do they have to eat kosher, or not? Now That's a trick question. And how do you do it? How do you go about it? Do you remember that the church when it started was Jewish, and then it became non-Jewish, and today you wish there were more Jewish churches? Do the nations have to keep the first season or first covenant rituals, or not? And here we land in Acts 15 very nicely. Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 they don't have to. Some of the Pharisees said, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And you could follow their argument. You would say, well, yeah, if you become part of this family, which is Jewish, you have to become Jewish. Now, it's not possible for both of these options to be true at the same time. It's just not possible. So how did they decide on the matter? A council, that's a good idea. Let's get some people together and let them do the hard work and figure it out. So who are we gonna invite? Well, the ones who say yes and the ones who say no. That's fair enough, right? And also, just make sure we have the eyewitnesses of Jesus' teaching and service. Those were the apostles. Where were they? In Jerusalem. Where's a good place to have that council? In Jerusalem. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it, in this setting. How did they come to a conclusion? Well, we just read, much debate. You like debating. Should we debate in church? Come on, don't be shy. Should we? Well, they did. That's why we're here today and you're not Jewish. And you're not... I promised I wouldn't say the word. Much debate. But then when I was studying this, it just dawned on me. Look, never once... In the three-something years of Jesus' ministry on earth, did he mention anything about when the Gentiles come, then you should do this? He just didn't. Like, gosh, he should've, right? Would've made it so easy. Just remember what Jesus said, sorted. But then he rose again. And then the disciples, they they met him. Actually, at one moment, there were more than 500 people in the same place, and they saw Jesus risen. Forty days he spent with them, talking about the kingdom, and he did not mention what to do when the Gentiles become Christians. Now, what kind of God is this? Now, let me just take you a little bit back, a few steps back, and we go back to creation, and God created humans in His own image. To do what? Well, to take care of this planet, and to take care of each other, and to represent God. Which God? Well, the one who thinks the one who understands things, the one who sees the connections and make, makes everything work nicely together. So now we have humans who don't know the answer, but they have to figure it out. How is there a precedent to solve this kind of question? We have basically ethnic Jews and all the rest who are not living together in harmony, or at least that's the plan, in something called the church. How? There needs to be sort of a contract, a social contract. How do we do this living together? And what did they do in the council in Jerusalem? They asked the question, is there a precedent to this? Did they have scriptures? Yes, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. So guess what they did? Well, they went back to it and did some reading and much debate. And eventually, it seems that scripture came up with a very convincing case. Now, have you ever wondered, in this text we read today, why are there four things that are prohibited? So, don't eat anything that's been sacrificed but to idols. Do not consume blood. Do not consume meat that has been strangled, that means the blood hasn't been drained out of it. And do not do any kind of sexual immorality. Why these four? That's a question. Now, I would suggest to you that they went back and looked for a precedent. Uh, I would just briefly mention Numbers 27. Numbers 27 is an interesting part in the Hebrew Bible because it was in a time when Moses was still alive, and some girls came to him, well, probably young ladies, and said, look, we are the daughters of Zelophehad. That's a funny name. And I won't tell you all the names because I don't know them. But they came to Moses and said, when we're going to be in the land that has been promised, our father had no sons. That means we will not have any part in the land. His name, basically, is going to be lost. His genealogy is going to stop here. And that's not fair, is it? And Moses went, you know what? That's true. How come we didn't think about it? And Moses goes to God in the tent, if I remember correctly, and says, Yahweh, what about this? Look, we have this family, they only have girls, and by the laws we have now, they cannot inherit any land in the promised land. Are they excluded from the promised land? And God says, no, you know what, they're absolutely right. As of now... If a father doesn't have sons, then he should go to the girls, and so on and so forth. And what you see there is the law has been adapted due to a new situation which has arised only now. And Moses was fine with that, and God was fine with that, and the law has been upgraded to the new circumstance. Happy days! Now, is that similar to what happened in Jerusalem? Oh yeah, very much so. There is something we didn't have before, and it turned up now, and we need to sort it up, SAP. So, how do we go about it? Well, let's look in the Scriptures, and that's exactly what they did. And I want to I reference something called, a, a podcast called the Naked Bible Podcast, episode 51 for you geeks if you want to read it, it uh, to listen to it, it. It's very, very good. It goes into depth um, of all that. Okay? So they refer to Scripture, both in the first case with Zelophehad's daughters and also now in Acts 15. Leviticus 17 and 18 are a case that they apply for their days. Okay, so we have, thank you Caleb, Leviticus 17, 8 and 9. It says, and you shall say to them, if there's anyone from the house of Israel or from the alien who dwells in their midst, who offers burnt offering, or a sacrifice, and he does not bring it to the tent of the assembly's entrance to sacrifice it for Yahweh, then that man shall be cut off from his people. So, what does it basically say? If you sacrifice but not to Yahweh, you're out. That's not part of the deal. That seems interesting, right? And then verses 10 and to 12, 10, 11, and 12 from the same chapter says, and if there is anyone from the house of Israel or from the alien who is dwelling in the midst who eats any blood, then I will set my face against that person who eats the blood and I will cut him off from among his people. Indeed, the flesh's life is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives because it, it, it is the blood with the life that makes atonement. Therefore, I say to the Israelites... None of you may eat blood nor may the alien who is dwelling in your midst nor may the alien who is dwelling in your midst eat blood. There's something under, underlined in those verses and maybe you want to track it maybe you did already. We move on verse 13 in the same chapter there's just verses following one after the other. Verse 13 says and if there is anyone from the Israelites or from the alien who is dwelling in their midst who hunts a wild game animal or a bird that may be eaten then he shall pour out its blood and he shall cover it with the soil so basically don't leave the blood in the animal make sure it's drained so you do not consume it and then we skip to Leviticus 18 verse 26 there's a whole list, we should le- read the whole chapter. And basically in verse 26, there, he- here it comes. But you, neither the native nor the alien who is dwelling amends, you shall keep my statutes and my regulations, and you shall not practice any of these detestable things. Yeah, so basically it says neither one of you should do those yeah. things. So here we have them. It's sacrifice to idols, it's blood, it's strangled animals, and it's sexual immorality. And if you go back, if you flick back to chapter 15 in Acts, you will see they are exactly the same and exactly in the same order. Coincidence? I think coincidence is just God's way to be anonymous. Five times it is, but in verses um, 8 and 9, you have uh, twice the second. Okay, So there are four prohibitions that are in the same order in Acts. And what is it all about? It's about living together. That's why I underlined, underscored some of the lines in the verses because it says the alien who is dwelling in their midst or in your midst. What was this about? It was about if you live together, there's a few things you should not do, both Jews and the ones who are not. Does that sound similar or familiar? Yes, exactly. It's about how do we live together as one family of God? It's still one family of God, Jew and Gentile together, and today we call it the church. Now, new circumstances need new conditions, and the spirit is the one that has been given before to both. Moses and Eleazar, the high priest, they figure it out with Yahweh, and they adapted the new law. The apostles and the elders figured it out with Yahweh, the Holy Spirit, to do exactly the same thing, to come to a new conclusion how it's done. Now, I would suggest that this is a lesson on treating all scripture as applicable today. In the light of the new covenant, some things have to be adapted. Some things in the 21st century come up, they have never come up before. How do you deal with it? Well, get them people together, those who can make the decisions, let them have much debate. Let them read Scripture. Let them look for the patterns. Does this occur before? Did it occur before? Is there a precedent to it? Let's learn from that. Think about it. In Exodus, the Israelites were already elected. They were freed. They were saved. On Passover night, they were saved by the Red sea. They were saved on their journey from the Amalekites. And all that happened before they had any law, before they went to Mount Sinai to receive the covenant contract. So what comes first? Salvation. And for the Jews, whatever rules they had to distinguish them came after they were saved. How about us? Do we have to do these things in order to be saved? The answer is, no. Do we have to do them after we are saved? Well, most likely, most likely. That would make sense if the scripture is one. So there is some stuff that applies not to make you good and be saved, but because you are saved. You are now part of God's family and this is how we live together. This is how it works. Just look at it. That there's a word for that, grace. Yeah, I'm just, you know, so you know. This is grace when you're saved and then you're invited to live according to the new covenant. The Torah or the law was the covenant for the first season. And now in season two, we have a new covenant in Jesus, but there's still something about it. Once you're saved, once you've been added to the family, there's a certain way you're expected to live. And that's, that comes from Jesus and from the new covenant. Okay, if we read, um, if we go back to Acts 15, 29, the letter actually that's been sent ends with an interesting line. It says, if you keep yourselves from doing these things, you will do well. Isn't that interesting? You would expect it to say, because the debate about, was about can you be saved without being, becoming Jewish. And the letter ends, if you will do these things, if you abstain from those things, then you will do well. It doesn't say you will be saved, it just says you will do well. And by the way, you are saved, but you will do well. Why? Why is that important? Why do you do well? Well, because in this new community, the Jew can be a Jew and believe in Christ, and the non-Jew can be a non-Jew and believe in Christ. And they can live together in harmony, representing God's heart, which is to unite everything in heaven and everything in earth on the earth together in Christ Jesus. That's all what it's all about, living together in harmony, human with human with God. That's it. If you want to remember one thing, this is it. Acts 15 is about humans living well with humans, living well with God. Part two, the Barnabas and Paul fallout. Do you think it's connected to the other bit before? I would suggest it is. How? Well, the first one matters when it comes to the gospel and salvation. And the second one, doesn't. Two colleagues in the mission field have a fallout. Does that happen in real life? Do people in church fall out, have a fallout? Is it good? No. But does it ruin everything? No. They moved on. Does it matter? No. They were imperfect humans like everyone else. Sorry, you Paul fans. I'm a big fan of Paul, but he was just human like me and like you. And he makes mistakes, and Barnabas makes mistakes. Why is that in Scripture? So we can learn that there is stuff that matters and stuff that doesn't matter. Don't be so intense about a little fallout. Because years go past, years go by, and they're friends again. And John Mark goes on mission. You know, that's good stuff. Can we learn something from that? Yes, yes. It takes effort. This living together takes effort. And when we're different, it takes effort. And Barnabas was a Levite, and, and, and Paul was not. He was just from Tarsus, but he was a Pharisee, a radical. So, yeah, you would expect at some point some things to go a bit pear-shaped, but it doesn't destroy missions, and it doesn't destroy the gospel. When you stop acting in the church, when you stop getting involved in church just because you're upset upset with someone else, that's wrong. That shouldn't happen. Look at this. Just, just move on, okay? Forgive. Look for reconciliation if it's possible. Sometimes it's not. But move on. The mission does not stop. So, a few conclusions and we're going to try and land this today. Is it fair to say that if you're a Jew today, here, or wherever you are when you're listening, love God with all that you are and stay loyal to the deal? But if you're a non-Jew, which is more likely, then this one's for you. Love God with all that you are and stay loyal to the deal. And if you have fallen away from the faith for various reasons, there's one thing you should do. Come back to God and then later to the family. Love God with all that you are and stay loyal to the deal. Now that was season one and season two in a little more than half an hour. Now you wonder, is there a season three? Would you like to be a season three? You're not sure, I know, I'm confusing you. But that's intentional, so you remember what we're talking about. Season three is the 21st century, or whatever century you're living in, if this video survives another 2,000 years. (laughs) How can we live together in season three in the 21st century in any given local church? This one, for example, or the one you're part of. How can we live together, locals and immigrants? Do the immigrants have to become local? Do the locals have to become internationals? The answer is no. Stay who you are, but love God with all that you are, and stay loyal to the end, even if you have to die. That's what makes us one. And you can move to the continent, you can move into another capital city, and you can meet up with people. Do they have to become like you? No. Do you have to become like them? No. But love God with all you are, give your best, and stay loyal to the end. That's it. That's season three. Do we make aliens to be like us? No. Jesus is enough. Maybe conventions about this have to be put in place in local churches. Now, very soon we will have this meal together, this food celebration, where we have it internationally and colored and hopefully, as Ollie says, new food. I like to taste new food. I like to try the weird stuff. My sons-in-law are doing great. They're eating stuff they never had before. Do they have to become Transylvanian? Oh, no. Do I have to become English? Oh, no. But we enjoy the good stuff that comes together. So that's a nice thing we do here. We, we, We taste each other's cultures. And quite a few years ago, I was reading Revelation, and it dawned on me. John says, and I saw heaven open. It says that many times. But at one point, it says, and I saw people from every tribe and nation, every tongue. It's like, wait, 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 wait. You saw that they were from different tribes. How? Or maybe skin color. Okay, fair enough. But what else? From different tongues. How do you see that? How do you see that someone is from a different tongue? Well, You probably don't see it, you probably hear it. Also, you mean in a new creation we will speak our own languages? Oh yeah, and I will upgrade myself from four to all languages, and so should you. And whenever I meet you, I speak your language. And when you come to me, you greet me in German, or Hungarian, or one of them I speak. Now that's season three, and that's how we should think, right? It's it's, it's a bit funny, but it's serious. I don't know what you think about heaven when it comes on earth, but that's what it's going to be, diversity in unity. Because there's one God, one Christ, one faith, and all the ones that you have, and one big happy family that you and me are part of, without unbecoming what we are. And I find that so fascinating, celebrating diversity in the unity in Christ Jesus. And also in season three, If members of a church have a fallout, what should we do? And you know the answer. We forgive and, if possible, reconcile, but we do not stop the job. Mission is on the table. Period. Is that good with you? I've got nothing else to say, really. This is it. But... yeah, if you applaud, applaud for Jesus, because He has made it possible. Come on, another round for Him, yeah? That's, that's how it works, right? I, I would like us to stand and pray, if that's okay. And I think we should pray specifically, like down to what we were talking about today. And uh, just the way I do it normally is I, I pray my sermon again. But I won't today. Uh, but I want you all to kind of like, like pray whilst I pray. And, and maybe you can join me in asking God. i tell you what we're going to pray so you just feel confident. I want to ask God today that in this season three of God's history, before we enter season four of eternity, we become wise by the Spirit of God and by the precedence we have in Scripture to live life well. And when necessary, to let go of our own identity to make the other one flourish. And if possible, embrace everyone, even the ones we have had a fallout with. Is that fair? Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the one and only true and living God who made all things, heavens and earth and their inhabitants, with a big plan of uniting them and keeping them united forever in Christ Jesus. Today we pray that you help us in this season of life and human history and church history we're we're, we're in today. Would you please, again, pour out your spirit, not not necessarily as a mystical experience, but rather as a life-changing experience, and perspective-shaping experience. Shape our minds, shape our expectations, shape our behavior, shape our whole worldview so that includes everything from the beginning to the end, so that we can be able to count our days, as Moses said in the Psalms, and to live wisely. Please, Lord, forgive us wherever we expected other people to become like us. Also, forgive us where we didn't care about people who are different from us? Would you also please forgive us as a church where we didn't embrace as we should have? We want to take responsibility because there's a deal between you and us to image you, to be your kings, your priests, your prophets, to say your words, to provide your government rules, and to intercede. We want to be that, and we want to do that. Would you heal our hearts and our emotions? Would you please come and change our lives from the inside out, as you have promised in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and in Joel, and we see it in Acts, and we see it today. Continue doing that, transforming us. Put your mission on our heart, the mission to bring everything together in Christ Jesus. I pray for my dear friends here and the ones listening online. Whenever that happens, do something in us so that we can live worthy of the calling, worthy of the new covenant we're part of. You've been so good to us and you continue to be. Let us image you well, please. Let us image you well, please. And give us ideas on how to, how, how to shape ourselves into the mold which has been given already so that we can conform, so that we can go- be good family members and coworkers and just citizens in Eastbourne or wherever we are the mission doesn't stop and we want to be on it we want to make it to season 4 in Jesus name amen